Welcome to the Jazz Shapers podcast from Mishkondorea. What you're about to hear was originally broadcast on Jazz FM. However, the music has been cut due to rights issues. This is Jazz Shapers with Elliot Moss on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. Listening colour. Welcome to Jazz Shapers with me, Elliot Moss, bringing the pioneers of the business world together with the musician shaping jazz, soul and blues. My guest today, I'm very pleased to say, is Sir Malcolm Walker, CBE founder and executive chairman of the British supermarket chain Iceland. You may just have heard of them. Leaving school without, as he says, conspicuous academic qualifications, Sir Malcolm identified retailing as the way to make his fortune and began work as a trainee manager at Woolworths. But after being fired for launching a sideline called Iceland in 1970, selling loose frozen food from a small shop, Sir Malcolm took this as a catalyst for a rapid expansion of Iceland into a national chain, which by 2000 had £2 billion worth of sales and over 700 shops. Having left Iceland in 2001, we'll talk more about that, he was fired, and after seeing in his absence profits and morale collapse, Sir Malcolm returned as CEO, achieving a transformation in performance before leading a management buyout. I'll be talking to Sir Malcolm in just a few minutes about all of this and more, including receiving his knighthood for services to retailing, entrepreneurship and charity. Sometimes when I um, have guests on the programme, there are businesses that are quite well known, there are businesses that are fledgling, and then there are businesses like yours, which we all know. Looking back to when you first opened this business called Iceland, could you imagine you'd be sitting here 52 years later talking about the empire that you've built? No, absolutely not. But at the same time, when we started... People would say, how many shops do you want? As if I was going to say five. And I said, well, I don't know, we're just going to keep going. And that's what we did. But this, this keep going thing, Malcolm, you know, you started young in doing things and um, the research threw up some interesting numbers, the, the, the disco thing when you were in your teens and then strawberries that were sold and, and then the idea for the frozen food and all things like that. The drive is still there all these years later, what was it like when you were just starting out? I imagine you were, you know, the raw red meat kind of fellow that you might meet because you don't get to where you get to without that kind of drive. Well, I'd never heard the word entrepreneur until about uh, eight or nine years into the business, but I suppose I am. And uh, from the earliest days, I've always been interested in money-making schemes as opposed to doing well at school. My mother used to say... You're never satisfied. Well, I'm not. And then she'd say, big, better, best, never let it rest till your big is bigger and your better best. <laughs> um, but, but why is that? Why are you never satisfied? Well, it's an illness. I mean, I'm 76 years old now and I still can't stop. You look very young. I'm not, I'm not just saying that. I mean, yeah. one can see, obviously, but they can imagine there's this handsome fellow in front of me. But you say it's an illness. Is it that, you know, Malcolm wakes up in the morning and he's just ready to go again and off we go and it's like another day and you forget everything that's happened before? In a good way, I mean. Is that, is that it? Well, sort of. I mean, if people have ever said, what's the secret of success? It's perseverance. And for most people, I have to say, if at first you don't succeed, give up. And, you know, if at first I don't succeed, you just have to try, try, try again. So it's perseverance that, that makes it work, I think. And is that something that you learn, Malcolm, or do you think you're born with that? Is that something that the family well, taught you when I you I think growing it's up? in you. And I have a lot of friends who've sold the businesses, retired, made money. And uh, if they do that 
too early, say in the 50s, something very strange happens to a man. Hairs grow down his nose and out of his ears and he gets a belly. And then it gets really boring. But if you keep going and there's a bit of stress in your life, I think it keeps you young-minded and slim. And I just want to go to 2001. I mentioned at the beginning, we said euphemistically, you left the business and you looked at me and you went, you mouth fired. So I said, well, you actually were fired. When you've been fired from your own business, Hmm. what does that do to the mentality of, of the person in front of me? Well, I've been fired twice. I was fired from Woolworths for starting... I've only had two jobs and I was fired from them both. <laughs> so I was fired from Woolworths for starting Iceland. And by about the year 2000, I wanted to retire. I don't suppose I did really, but I thought I did. And um, I did a deal which got me Sir Stuart Rose, now Lord Rose, as my successor. But he wasn't really interested. And instead of me retiring, he retired. And I was left holding the baby. I did manage to recruit another guy to take over from me. And basically, it was a stitch-up. I mean, by that time, I'd only got a couple of percent of shares left in the business. I still thought of it as my business. I owned it. Of course, I didn't. So I wasn't in a terribly strong position. And he took over, trashed the numbers. I was in disgrace. And uh, I was fired. And all that did was make me very angry. So instead of retiring, I immediately started a new frozen food business called Cool Trader, just to wind him up, which it did very successfully. <laughs> so for the, next, for the next four years that I was out of the business, I opened 35 Cool Trader shops from a standing start. He opened one. And then when I went back into Iceland four years later, it was bankrupt. So I'm going to go back to 1970. It was a fantastic year for you, and I was born that year, so it's a very memorable year for my family rather than me. And you said, you know, I hadn't heard the word entrepreneur until a few years ago. There's a lot of jargon. There's a lot of stuff spoken about this this perseverance gene, this, you know, being an entrepreneur thing. You weren't funded at the beginning. You did this yourself. I mean, is that that right, firstly? Yeah, well, by accident, we found a magic formula in that uh, myself and my partner, who was also a Woolworth trainee, after this episode selling strawberries on the roadside, what shall we do next? We had a few failed ventures along the way. Then we decided to open a shop. So we found one in Oslo Street, and uh, the landlord was Border Breweries. I went to see them. The rent was £60 a month, so we both put £30 each into the kitty, and that is the only money we ever put into the business. So we painted the shop with loose change out of our pocket. We bought two freezers, a cash register and a scale on higher purchase without having to pay a deposit. And we bought frozen food on a week's credit, which we later stretched to a month. So when we opened the shop, which was an immediate success, we didn't have to pay anybody except staff wages for the first month. So we ended up with cash in the bank. We thought, this is easy. So we opened another and another, and every time we opened a shop, we got cash in the bank. And then we started spending more and more money on fit-outs, and we went into overdraft, and basically we were in overdraft then for the next 40 years. <laughs> but, but that point about needs must, you didn't have money to put in, but no. you found a way around it. My mother insisted on lending me 100 quid, which I didn't need, but I, I took it and then gave it her back. But we just didn't need it. It were, We discovered positive cash flow. I mean, you, you say it now and you're looking back. 
Was it really that straightforward? Was it just because, you know what, this is just a really good idea and you executed it well? Yeah, I mean, we opened the shop whilst we were still employed by Woolworths. Peter worked in Oswestry and he got four days holiday. I worked in Wrexham. I couldn't get any holiday, so I went sick. And we worked in the shop for three days and then went back to Woolworths. And then uh, gradually Woolworths found out what we were doing and then they knew that we knew and we knew that they knew and then six weeks later we were called down to regional office in Birmingham and I knew we weren't going to get promoted. <laughs> uh, and the, the boss there, was I'd, I've never seen an office like it, huge oak-panelled office with a massive desk at one end. So he called us in. I was the second one to go in. And uh, he gave us a grilling as to what we'd been up to. And uh, I told him he owed me about 5,000 hours in unpaid overtime, which he wasn't impressed with. And then his last words to me was, well, go and run your fish and chip shop or whatever it is. 25 years later, we tracked him down and invited him to our office. <laughs> and he was delightful. Mr. Green, A.V. Green, God. And he was great, actually. So we got photographs and presented him with a painting of a Woolworth front door <laughs> with me and Peter and this boot coming out to kick us on our way. <laughs> this, this sort of twinkle in your eye, Malcolm, right, this sense of the naughty and the cheeky, is that, I mean, it's obviously it's just your personality, but do you think that's a really important part of, of your success? Well, I, I don't know. I mean, uh, I don't think I'm boring. And I think that, that is helpful in, in business. And... You know, so many people have got just the wrong ideas about business. I suppose there's two kinds of businessmen. There's professional management, which climb up the ladder, which might be a different breed, and they have to follow the rules. And then there's entrepreneurs, self-made people, who might slightly break the rules and be a little bit more unconventional. So we can say what we think. And ever since I left Woolworths, I've never had a boss, so I've not been inhibited. Gonna have to get you a boss, but I'm gonna have to control you. It's getting out of control already. Much more coming up from Sir Malcolm Walker, my business shaper, straight talking to say the least. He's coming back in a couple of minutes. Right now, we're gonna a taster from the Michigan Innovation Series, a brand new podcast on all the major podcast platforms. Natasha Knight invites business founders to share their industry insights and practical advice for those of you thinking about getting into an industry and starting your very own thing like Malcolm. In this clip, focused on retail and the world of manufacturing, Julie Dean, founder and CEO of the Cambridge Satchel Company, confronts the idea that only a certain kind of person can be an entrepreneur. The Mishcon Innovation Series. Insights from founders for your future business. In association with Jazz Shapers, with Mishcon Dereya. It's quite unique, I think, in showing how doable it is the fact that this woman who is in her late 40s had just had an eight-year career break to bring up her children, <laughs> decided to code her own website, go into an area that she knew nothing about, and then start a factory and work with Comme des Garçons and Vivian Westwood and real kind of like royalty, and start it all with just £600 and never put the family home at risk. <laughs> you know, if, if you can't look at that and think, oh my God, if she can do it, then yes, I'm going to give this a go. And if you can't look at that and think, look how that transformed 
her life and the life of her children. But, oh, the adventures, you know, the the craziness, the insanity of thinking this is the person then that, that went on to get a CBE. You know, this is the person that travelled to Detroit with Richard Branson to, to mentor some companies. She had literally no experience of this before doing it. If you can't find that gives you hope, <laughs> then I really don't know, you know, what more could. So that is the biggest gift of the Cambridge Satchel Company is its hopeful ability to inspire others. The Mishcon Innovation Series, in association with Jazz Shapers, with Mishcon Derea. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishcon Derea. It's business, but it's personal. All our former business shapers can be enjoyed on the Jazz Shapers podcast. And indeed, you can hear this very program again if you pop Jazz Shapers into your podcast platform of choice. Or if you've got a smart speaker, just ask it to play Jazz Shapers and you'll be greeted with a taster of our recent shows. But back to today, the main event, Sir Malcolm Walker, the founder of the British supermarket chain Iceland. So I'm intrigued. This business grows, yeah, and you retain that sense of irreverence and kind of, as you said, you've got to be unconventional, you break the rules. That gets really hard when you get big. That's fine with one shop or five or ten, but you start to scale, and you you alluded to it. You said there's professional management class that has to come in because you you need a head office. You need to think about, you know, in 2000 or whenever it was that you started essentially delivering to people's homes through the internet and phones before that and and catalogues. How have you managed to keep the irreverence, to keep that sense of breaking the rules and saying, hold on a minute, that's just wrong, and that professionalism that has to be imbued in the business? There's a TV programme, I think it's called uh, Back to the Floor or something, where a boss in disguise goes and works on the shop floor and is not recognised, and I can't get my mind around that. We've got 30,000 staff and every single person would recognise me. Now... It's different because I've been in the business for 50 years and I'm well known. But we spend a lot of effort and money on corporate culture. We have um, an annual conference which has got ridiculous. A few years ago, we took over 1,000 managers to Disney World in uh, Florida. We chartered three jumbo jets and we, we took the place over. This was a manager's conference, of course. Well... Not really. It was a jolly. As a taxman later found out, and we <laughs> we had we had to pay tax on it. <laughs> but I think at all our events we spend a surprising amount on alcohol, and I think it's really important that you have that that feeling in the business. It started in the very early days when, after the week's work on Friday, people would go home early. Not in Iceland, because shops in those days could open late on a Friday night. So we were open till about 8 o'clock, then we go to the pub, and then the pub got a bit more raucous, and then we go to a restaurant, and then a Friday night developed into a, a jamboree, and you talk on Friday night about everything, politics, business, sex, booze, everything, and that helps develop the culture. And before we floated the business in 1984, we gave away, Peter and myself, from our personal shareholding, shares to, I forgot how many, maybe 15 or more senior members of the management team. So when we floated, it wasn't just a celebration for me and Peter. Mm. Everybody made a load of money as well. And that, that wasn't shared options. 
that was our money that, that we gave them. We've always been quite generous. And there was a, you might have heard of a guy called John Garnett. He's dead now, but he was a motivational speaker. And he came to speak to us once. And he said something very profound at the meeting. He said, imagine a football game where the players weren't allowed to know the score. And that so often happens in business in that the management don't exactly know the numbers of what's going on. And we've always been so open with the team, with the numbers, the money we're making, what's going on. And I think that openness, that carefree, fun attitude is, you know, over the years, you get these key words in a business, don't you? And uh, the third word for us has always been fun. I think fun sounds like the best word of the three. Not knowing the other two, of course, Malcolm, but you can tell me those. Focus, are yes. simplicity. No, I preferred fun. fun. <laughs> <laughs> Stay with me for more words of wisdom from Sir Malcolm Walker, my business shaper today. This point about that you talk about simplicity and focus and fun, but the other thing I, I'm intrigued about is I think I watched an interview where you were saying we wanted to be like M&S, we wanted to do it right, we wanted to have a legacy, we wanted to do things for the long haul. People often associate cheap with bad quality mm. but in your world that's not right well when we started the business marks and spencers was the idol and we talked about mns not as a business but as a way of doing things meaning quality and although you know we're in the north of england we're selling cheap frozen foods we wanted to do everything to a standard to last because we weren't in business for two or three years and then go this was going to be a, a lifetime business so instead of buying Bedford trucks, we'd buy Mercedes and so on. And that mindset has always been with us to build a quality business. With our product range now, there is a bit of a stigma associated with shopping with Iceland. I believe uh, most of your listeners are pretty upmarket. So they're, <laughs> they're less like, they're probably Waitrose shoppers, but they're missing something because people say to me, oh, I don't eat frozen food. I said, well, you think you don't. Most of what you eat is at one point being frozen. That fresh pizza you buy in the supermarket, every single ingredient came into the factory frozen, even the base. It's an assembly job. Hot cross buns at Easter. You don't think they were baked last week, do you? They were baked in January. Most things that you buy have been frozen. Go on the fresh fish counter in the supermarkets and there'll be a little ticket that said this product was previously frozen. Mm. So you're buying defrosted prawns. <coughs> If your freezer breaks down at home and your prawns melt, you think they're poisonous. But you'll go to Waitrose and buy prawns that have been defrosted three days, keep them in your fridge for three days and then eat them and they're all right. But things have changed, haven't they? I remember as a kid, we lived in a place called Stanmore and in Stanmore there was a shop called Bee Jam, yeah. which I believe, I think at some point you guys probably acquired, I'm guessing. We took over Bee Jam. Stanmore was their head office. That's right. So we were there. And the reason I mention that is because we had two freezers in our house. Yeah. We have one in the shed because it was big and that's where mum yeah. and dad put things. And we have one in, in the bottom of the, of the thing. In the 70s, it was all the rage. Yes. And what I find interesting about what you've just described is actually fashions change, mm. trends change, but cause, and people were less knowledgeable about nutrition. But your point is there is no contradiction in a frozen food that you buy. It just happens to be at a different state of purchase. And in a way, that does for the for the listeners who may not be shopping at Iceland, your point being, it's the same thing, and I get you that quality, it's organic, it's whatever it might be, it just happens to be frozen. If you cook a chicken casserole at home, split it in half, put half in the fridge and half in the freezer, in 10 days' time, which do you want to eat? 
the one out of the freezer. Well, what's wrong with the one in the fridge? Well, it's gone off. So why do you go to the supermarket and buy a, a chicken casserole with a six or seven day shelf life? How's it last? Because it's full of preservatives. <laughs> and if it's frozen, it's God's way of preserving food. What I love is Sir Malcolm Walker has just converted thousands of you to going and buying food in Iceland again. How about that? Never stop selling. Stay with me for my final chat with Sir Malcolm. We've also got some music from Miriam McCabe and the Skylarks. That's all coming up here on Jazz FM in just a moment. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mish Kondorea. It's business, but it's personal. There's so much we, we could cover. I mean, there's the point about your, your son being in the business, which I love in that sense. You've mentioned it, the kind of the next 50 years. It's not a short-term business. The thing that I want to talk about, though, is something we haven't yet covered, is your values and your sense of what's important and that notion that if you don't make a profit, you can't do good things. And that profit is not a dirty word. It enables you to have purpose. And people rave on about purpose, and often it's just words. But for you... Over the years, you have given millions, literally, or encouraged millions of pounds to be given to various charities. Where does that come from, Malcolm? Why is it important to you that you're giving back all the time? I think so many people think that if you've done well in business, you're either a rogue or a bully or maybe not not a nice person. And uh, that's not true. Maybe it's true for some people, but certainly my values start at home with a family, and uh, having worked for seven years in Woolworths when I hated it, that was no way to treat staff. And you've got to treat people how you'd like to be treated yourself. And my family's always been very important, and people assume that you've neglected your family. And I say, well, no, actually, because right through from the very beginning, I never took work home, I never worked weekends. Initially I did, because we were opening shops. But once we'd got a head office and up and running, I never worked with I never missed a school play, I never missed a sports day, and I did all the right things by the children. And that sense of family value, I think, becomes part of the business. It's it's trying to do things right. And um first time I went to America, apart from the chocolate on the pillow, which I'd never seen before, there was a, a packet of book matches, Marriott Hotel, and it said we do it right. And we adopted that, and it was on the front page of our first annual report as a public company. We do it right. In every way, we try and do it right. So treating people right and then extending what we do to uh, wider society, charity. If we're making profit, we can afford to give some to charity. And I think in the last 10 years, we've given £30 million to charity. And again... We do it differently because I think most companies would um, have a committee and the money would go in all different directions. Uh, we, we've got a different method in Iceland, I decide. And <laughs> we try and choose a charity that is small where we can make a difference so we wouldn't, for example, give money to Oxfam. Not that it's not worthy, but if we're going to give a million pounds to an organisation, we want it to make a massive difference and that's what we've... That's what we've done. Just before we close off, I've got one more question. Just looking at this 52 years yeah. in the business and Woolies and getting yeah. fired there and all these other things. Do you ever get phased by stuff? Because obviously it isn't easy running a small business, a medium-sized business or a big one. And yet here we are, you're 76, you said, and you, you don't look it and you don't look like a man who's got a million worry lines over there. 
Is it that you do get phased but you know how to handle it or that you genuinely just don't get phased? I'm, I'm really intrigued. I think if you win the lottery, you might get into trouble. But I've had 52 years to learn how to deal with things slowly, slowly. So it's a, it's a long apprenticeship and a long learning curve, how to handle money, how to bring up your children. My children have a work ethic because they all had to have holiday jobs, Saturday jobs. When they got a car, it was an old banger. And I think that's the most important thing, is to instill that into your children. And it's, it's about family values and, well, that's it. What can I say? You know, I've had a long apprenticeship, so no, I don't get phased. The only time I sort of got phased were when we were floating the company and we were sitting around with all the lawyers and stockbrokers and had no idea what they were talking about. I'm not going to comment on that. It's probably true. It's, pretty, it's, it's another language, let's just say that. It's been fabulous talking to you. Thank you for making the time um, to come here. Just before I let you, you disappear into the sunset and back off to not be phased by the £3.2 billion of sales and counting. That, that's go, three, oh, Sorry, there you go, 3.7. I knew I'd get told off at some point. It was very close to the end. I almost got away with it. Um, what's your song choice and why have you chosen it? Well, if it has to be jazz, I can't stand modern jazz. <laughs> But I used to, in my youth, like a bit of trad jazz. And the only two bands that I could think of from all those years ago was the Temperance Seven, which I mentioned earlier, and you have no idea what I was talking about. I could sing it for you if you want. Um, and the other one's Akabilk. And uh, Stranger on the Shore, I think, is melancholy and melodic. I like that. That was Ackerbilt with Stranger on the Shore, the song choice of my business shaper today, Sir Malcolm Walker. He talked about simplicity, focus and fun, the three key tenets of the business of Iceland. He talked about the importance of family values. He never missed a play and he never missed a sports day. And yet the business itself is also all about family. He talked really importantly about openness in the business and that sense of the players needing to know the score. How simple a way of articulating that point is that. And finally, he talked in such humble terms about a long apprenticeship, 52 years and counting and super successful. Absolutely brilliant stuff. That's it from me and Jazz Shapers. Have a lovely weekend. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. We hope you enjoyed that edition of Jazz Shapers. You'll find hundreds more guests available for you to listen to in our archive. To find out more, just search Jazz Shapers in iTunes or your favourite podcast platform or head over to mishcon.com forward slash jazz shapers.